last couple of weeks talking about, well, we've been talking about the power of God, but more specifically the area of healing. Healing is never more needed today than it was 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. It doesn't matter. The power of God is still alive and well. And when we talk about the ideas of healing, it's where do we get this concept? Well, part of it is it comes from Psalm 103. We read this every week. Let's read it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquities. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. And He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I, we read this every week, and part of that is, you ought to be able to have it, just recite it by now. I mean, don't you think that if we are a child of God and there are benefits involved, don't you kind of want to know what they are? I mean, you know, it's, it's like one of the benefits of going to work. What's one of the benefits of going to work? It's a paycheck, right? It's a benefit. You're trading your time for a few dollars, right? Now, don't you want to know that that's coming at the end? You know why they got to pay you to go there? Because it's work. If it was fun, you'd do it for free. I've tried to get all the kids down to tropical snow to just, out of the kindness of their heart, just volunteer their time. They all don't seem to think that's a very good idea. Well, you know, well, if I did free ice cream, I would ha- I mean, I couldn't get the doors open because Jared would eat it all. So every time he, I'll get, he'll call me, he's like, hey, are there new flavors I need to try yet? I mean, that's basically Jared, you know, Jared. If you ever have old ice cream in the freezer, you know when you, you put a tub in the back and you kind of forgot about it and it changes colors on you? Jared will still eat that, just so you know. Um, what am I saying? That never happens. Who leaves ice cream in their freezer and forgets about it? That's blasphemous. Shame on me. Anyway. But the bottom line is is that we need to know God's benefits. We need to know about forgiveness. How come it's so easy to accept forgiveness? We walk around all pious and pie in the sky like, yes, I am right with God, even though the things we do on a daily basis are contrary to the character of who God is. So why are we so confident that we're right with God? You know what it is? We're not faced with eternity on a daily basis. One of our church families right now, Faced with the situation. I mean, they life-flighted him to Lincoln. You know, it's scary. They're immediately, it, it, it just snaps like, we live in a finite time here. I mean, we are not, you know, going to live forever on this planet. It scares you. When you're faced with that, suddenly your priorities change. That's why you hear people on their deathbed talking about, it's like, they never said, I wish I went to work more. It's always, I wish I spent more time with my kids, my family, whatever. Where your priorities have shifted now that you're facing eternity. But when it comes to the things of healing, we're facing whatever that is, that sickness. We're facing that headache. We're facing that accident in this case. We're facing the things of this world. And it's so much harder to believe God for that. Which is where we come up with all these wacky ideas. One of those wacky ideas is the idea of cessationism. Right? The idea that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased to exist. Therefore, not only does God not heal today, But he also doesn't move in prophecy. He doesn't move in any of this other stuff. And now we've looked at this from a scriptural standpoint. We've also looked at it from a practical standpoint. The fact is that all it takes is one miracle to refute the idea that God doesn't do something today. All it takes is one confirmed prophecy that proves that God at least does speak through some today. Does everybody who claims to have a prophecy actually have a prophecy? Of course not. Now, I'll say this because I get asked this question when I talk about prophecy, is that, well, wouldn't those people be labeled false prophets? And the answer is, not necessarily. Because we have to look at what it was. In the Old Testament, they were told to stone the false prophets. What was a false prophet? Somebody who was coming in the name of God, but they knew it wasn't from Yahweh. 
One who prophesies falsely and a false prophet are not the same thing. You may think you have a word from the Lord, and that's okay. I've had people say, you know, I, I believe God told me something for you. And sometimes they've been accurate, and other times, not so much. I'll give you a perfect example. One the guy nailed is that after Amy and I got married, I got thin. I know, it's hard to believe. <laughs> I went from 255 to 182 pounds in six months. I had abs, y'all. <laughs> I took my shirt off in public back then. I was young and dumb. Even if those, I mean, I'm sure the abs are still there. They just got a thin candy shell around them right now. But, but the bottom line is this, is that I lost all of this weight. And we brought in this guest minister. Uh, we've had him here at the church before. I, I'm, I'm 19 years old. And uh, Amy was in charge of the children's church at this point, And they were having night meetings and all of that. I hadn't seen the guy yet because I was helping Amy with the children's church. And uh, anyway, uh, what nobody knew was that I was taking a product called Exenadrin, okay? And it had ephedrine in it. Do you guys remember when the ephedrine thing came out and people were dying from it and all of that? Well, this was prior to that. And I was taking it. And apparently, whatever is in ephedrine is awesome because it worked. I mean, I was working out all the time. It was a wonderful thing. So, I, I mean, I just, I'd lost all this weight taking it. It wasn't like it was a big secret. I just didn't take, tell anybody. I was training for powerlifting at that point still. And so I was taking all sorts of supplements. This was just another one. And so anyway, we're in the upstairs of the building of the children's church. I haven't seen this guy yet. It's night two. I haven't had a chance to, to visit with him at all. And uh, somebody comes upstairs and says, hey, Chris, uh, uh, he wants to pray for you. I was like, oh, okay, fine, you know, whatever, no big deal. So I go downstairs, um, granted, I haven't seen the guy yet. I walk in, and as I'm walking up to him, he turns his mic off. Now, I'll tell you this, that if somebody's going to pray for you and they turn their mic off, it's usually not a good sign, right? And he looks at me, he says, Chris, you've lost quite a bit of weight, looking good. I said, thanks. He said, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm eating better, exercising, all true statements. And he, said, he looks at me, he said, are you taking anything? And I said, well, yeah. Now, at this point, my mother and my wife were the only ones that knew about it. Again, it wasn't a big secret. It wasn't like I was trying to hide it. I just didn't walk around. I mean, I didn't tell you when I took creatine either, so, or protein powder for that matter. And I said, yeah, I am actually. And he said, listen, I want you to know you're going to be fine. But the Lord told me to tell you, you need to stop taking this stuff. And he said, it's, it's messing you up. You just need to stop. You're going to be fine. But he's like, I'm going to pray for you. You're going to be just fine. He said, but you need to stop. That's all I needed to hear. So I went home that night, dumped the stuff in the trash, never took it again. Two weeks later is when the whole ephedrine thing broke, that people were dying from it. And I had been having some stomach pains and stuff like that, but I didn't think anything of it. You know, it was no big deal. Um, you know, but it's like, that guy heard from the Lord. Because nobody knew. I hadn't even seen him. He had not seen me yet. So there are things like that that happen. How did he know that? I didn't fill out some note card before the meeting and put this stuff on. He didn't stand up, uh, is there a Chris Schimmel here who lives at this address or anything like that? It was none of that stuff. There was no hoopla. But I learned something very important that day. Number one, if a man claims to hear from the Lord, we should test that. In that case, there was no question about it. Number two is when I learned that if they turn off their mic, it's usually not a good sign. Okay? So it doesn't take much to refute it. We can refute this from Scripture. We can refute this practically. So, that's not a problem. But now we've got the sovereignty of God that we're dealing with. I'm not spelling that right. No, no, no. Here we go. I think so. Whatever. I went to school in Nebraska. Forgive me. So, yeah, I know you know. 
didn't didn't affect everybody, just me. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The sovereignty of God. What do we do with that? Is it God's will to heal? Sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? Because sometimes people get healed and sometimes they don't. So, based off deductive reasoning, we will come to the conclusion that yes, sometimes it's God's will to heal, and other times it is not. What we leave out is what does Scripture say? Well, he just said that healing all of my diseases leaves out none, and that it's a benefit. There are just countless Scriptures that we went through talking about that, that, Jesus, or that, that the, the believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. That you call for the elders of the church and the prayer of faith will make them well. It never says might. It never says we'll do this if it's God's will. It implies the idea that we can know God's will and we should know God's will and we should act on God's will. One of God's wills are that you go and share the gospel. You don't need to pray about that. If you have a neighbor, you should be sharing the gospel with them. If you have children, you should be sharing the gospel with them. If you have co-workers, you should be sharing the gospel with them. If you have a pulse, you should be sharing the gospel. But we don't. We make excuses. We'll sit there like, well, I don't think the Lord's directing me to that. Yeah, yeah, He is. He always is. There may be specifics in that and times and place where you push a little harder than others, but the bottom line is we should be doing this. When I hear a church say that, uh, it was an elder of a church one time, say that, you know, it's not our job to get people saved. Other people can do that, but then they can come to this church and then we'll disciple them. Show me that in Scripture. It's not there. You see, the problem is we're always like, okay, God, what do we do? Because that sovereignty thing goes to salvation also. There's Calvinism in, in different parts of that and whether or not that God desired that they should be saved or that they should be damned that was up to him he made those decisions that's the elect I'll just tell you this that's nonsense uh, without getting into the weeds on it but the bottom line is this is that God has a will and we can know it and that's what we got to look at and so the idea is that that we don't know we began to look at from different things that people say that obviously that from scripture that we can't know and what this is one of them second uh, Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 unless I should be exalted above measure by the uh, the abundance of the revelation a thorn in the flesh was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me lest I should be exalted above measure concerning this thing I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me and he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness therefore most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me therefore I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches in knees in persecution in distresses for Christ's sake for when I am weak then I am strong you see Paul had something wrong. And remember, they one of the thing. Go read commentaries. Go Google this. See what comes up. They will often tell you it was a physical infirmity, some sort of a sickness. It may be a, uh, a gout or a club foot or a hunchback. I don't know where they come up with these ideas, but that's some of it. But the number one prevalent one is his eye problem. That this is what was given to him. And in Galatians 4.15, what, the, uh, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And in Galatians 6 verse 11, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. So obviously he had an eye problem. But as we did last week and we looked at this, what does Scripture say? And we read through Acts 14 at a time that uh, Paul was in the area of Galatia with Lystra and Derbe and Iconium and all these places where he is stoned. And when they stone him, they throw the rock at their heads. They're trying to kill them. Not just hurt them, they're trying to kill them. And it says they left him for dead and the disciples gathered around him and he rose up. He's in the area of which he wrote. He's finding and starting churches there. So, what do you think happens after you're stoned? You look 
pretty bad, right? If you throw a bunch of rocks at somebody's face, they're not going to look that good when you're done. It's just the bottom line. Now, Janet brought up a good point last week. We sat down and talked afterwards. She's like, but don't you think that if God raised him up, because we both would agree that we think that he died there. There's a time that he talks about being in the third heaven, in the body, out of the body, I don't know. All that kind of stuff. That might have something to do with that. We don't know for sure, but we think by connecting the dots is possible. But if God raised him up, why would he leave him all bruised and battered? And that's a fair argument. And we don't know for sure that Acts 14 and Galatians 6 and Galatians 4 are connecting. But we're putting some pieces together. Here's what we do know for sure. That thorn says it was a messenger of Satan. We looked at the thorn used throughout Scripture with always a people that were the enemy of God that were a pain in the neck for the Israelites. So if we're going to be consistent with how we look at this, then the thorn in the flesh would be the same thing. The enemies of God. And who were the enemies of God at this point? The Judaizers. These people that were going against Paul and the mission of the church set out to stop him at all cost. Now, would God make all of the deformity go away and the swelling and all of that? He certainly could. But here's the thing. One thing that we do know for sure about Jesus is Jesus' bodily was physically maimed and beaten and pierced. And he died. And he was physically resurrected again. And we know that those scars were still there. Right? We know that for a fact. So, there was a purpose there. Is the same for Paul. Can we just all agree that it's a possibility? What we know for sure is that thorn was not some physical ailment. Okay? I'm never, unless it specifically says it, I'm never going to say with 100% certainty I can tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to tell you my opinion and why I got there. So I love that Janet brought that up last week. So the bottom line is this, guys. That is nonsense. Paul did not have an eye disease. This we know. So what about the other things? What about these other verses that Paul used and looked at and all of this stuff that they, that they used to try to say, well, yeah, they had the ability to heal. It was used to confirm the Word, which is what Mark 16 says. But now we have the Scripture. We no longer need those. And at the time, the apostles eventually did lose those gifts. Well, one of the places that we see is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. I told you we get to this this week. In verse 19, it says, Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onisphorus, Onisphorus, Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Now, this is a man that Paul did love. This man did work with Paul. He'd helped him out. He was uh, traveling with him. He was there in Ephesus with him at different times. So why would you leave him sick, Paul? You as an apostle, maybe you could make an argument that not everybody possessed that gift, but certainly Paul did. Why would you leave somebody you cared about sick? It's a fair question, right? But being students of the Word, we should dig into this a little bit. So let me show you what the, the Greek word here is. You can see this. It, it's got a couple of different meanings. I'm going to move this for some of you guys. It's got be sick, be weak, people, sick man, disease, became sick, made weak. Now, when we look at this, you can see that sickness and weakness are the two primary uses. This is based off the number of uses of this particular word used throughout the Greek New Testament. That's what those things are showing us. It's often. Ironically, is that 15 times it is translated weak, 16 times it is translated sick. Okay? Same exact word. So, 
what if we change that instead of translating it as sick, we translate it as weak? Now, when it talks about weak, what does weak mean? The way this is used oftentimes is they're tired. They're worn out. They needed a break. Do you remember a man who walked this earth that set a beautiful example for all of us named Jesus when he took a nap? Why did he do that? He's Jesus. He was tired. Naps are of God. Hallelujah. Listen, the Mexicans got something going. That whole siesta thing, it's awesome. You ever been down there for it? Oh my goodness, if you've ever been to Mexico, you've seen it. When it's siesta time, all things stop. We can learn something from them. Now let's look at this used a couple of times. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray, that you may be made complete. So we have a dichotomy being used here. Weakness and strength. One, strong, built up, able to carry the load. Weakness, not. Well, here's another one. Romans 8, verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Now think about this. It was weak, as in the flesh was unable to carry the burden of the law. It didn't have enough in it. This is the same word that is translated in 2 Timothy 4. The exact same word. Let's look at another one. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews, and those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. Same exact word. What is the weak to the weak? The downtrodden. The tired. The exhausted. It's describing mothers. Right? I know it's Father's Day, but what do fathers do? They hold the couch down. They make sure the remote is in arm's length. Now here's another one, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself so that, and let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now here we have in the word weak is the exact word that we referenced back in 2 Timothy. But here, sick is a completely different word. Now, why would he separate those two here? Why not just use them interchangeably? Because they're not interchangeable. You see, there are times that they use a very specific word. There are times they use one that's interchangeably. It's all in the context of what we're doing here. And so, here we see weak. Many are weak. Why? They're not taking the Lord's Supper, the communion the, the third cup of the Passover. They're not doing this in a worthy manner. And it's causing problems for them. It's making them weak. Physically or spiritually? Maybe both. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. What's the context here? 
These are people that need us to lift them up. They're weak. They're tired. They're faint-hearted. They need comforted. Same thing. All of this is exactly the same word used in 2 Timothy. Does that mean it is at least possible that he didn't leave them sick, but Trophimus was just worn out and needed a break? We have to say it's possible. Because 15 times it's used as weak, 16 times it's used as six. That means it's a coin toss, right? And that sometimes when the translators are doing that, they pick the one that they feel is best. I'm sure if you dug enough, you would find one that says it the other way. So we have to do our homework. But there's one more time that it's used. And it's one that we've read multiple times now. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I be exalted above measure concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak then I am made strong. What's he talking about? You think Paul was worn out? Can you imagine the load? Think about what wears us out today in America as the body of Christ. Facebook debates. Here he is, everywhere he goes, he is standing against these people that are coming against him. He is standing up for truth. Sometimes for days, sometimes for weeks, sometimes for months. Every day, he's in the same spot. He stands in the synagogue and he lets them know, y'all are dumb. That's what he basically says. That's a direct translation from the Greek, just so you know. <laughs> and he sits there and he says this every day. And what does it cost him? Well, one, if you've ever debated with somebody, it can be exhausting. It's like when the answer's right in front of them and they refuse to see it. It's like, I don't know how else I can explain this. It just wears you out. You beat your head against that wall time and time again. And so that in and of itself is bad enough. But then what happened in Galatia? Well, he got stoned. And other times he's shipwrecked. And other times he's beaten. And other times he's jailed. Do you think he's tired? Absolutely. Yet he presses on for when he's weak, he is strong because of God's grace. You see, it's God's grace that gives us the ability to do the things that we are called to do. You guys may not know this, but I talk to pastors all the time. There is a grace with pastoring. There has to be. Because people are involved. And people are frustrating, right? Because everybody has an opinion. And opinions are like armpits. Everybody has them. And some of them stink. So, we have to have a grace to do it. There are people that will get into ministry, whether it be pastoring or something else, that don't have that calling on their life, and it's more vocational, and they burn out, and they don't last. But there's a grace in doing anything for God. We need that grace. Paul is the perfect example of when he is weak, he is strong through the grace of God. He's able to go on. Listen, if we face one day of what Paul did, most of us would just quit. We're like, God, I, this can't be your will in my life. This is too hard. But it didn't stop him. 
You guys see what I'm saying here? Did he leave Trophimus sick? Do people get sick? Sure they get sick. Could Paul have healed him? Absolutely he can. The question isn't whether or not it was God's will. The question isn't whether or not Paul had the ability or the gift of healing, whatever you want to call. All of those things are very clear through Scripture. The bottom line here is, is it at least possible that he left him behind because the dude needed a day off. Okay? All right, let's look at another one. 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is another one that's brought up all the time. Verse 23. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Now, this one is so easy to explain that it kills me that people build an entire theology around this. So what did Paul tell Timothy, the pastor of Ephesus? Quit drinking just the water and drink some wine. Well, what is wine? I can tell you that the wine that we have today is not the wine of that time. That was fermented. Ours is distilled. Our wine, our beer, our things like that in the biblical times would be considered strong drink, which the Bible says to stay away from. This stuff was basically cough syrup. They would take one part of a fermented wine and mix it with two parts water. And why do you think they did that? They didn't have water processing plants. You ever go to a foreign country and drink the water? It can have explosive results. Some of you got that. Some of you need somebody to explain that to you. I'm not going to do that right now. They tell you when you travel overseas, drink bottled water. Do not drink the water. It can make you sick. Why is that? Because there's the way they process it is different. It's no different for if somebody comes up here and could drink the water. It can make them sick because our bodies are not adjusted to it. There are bacteria in water. And what would alcohol do to that? It would kill the bacteria. Now, Timothy, and most people at this time would drink wine with their meal, but remember, two parts water, one part wine, and it's already weak. Okay? Like I said, the stuff we have today is way higher. So he abstained from all things alcohol, which is a very common practice. Anything. Why did they do that? As an example, because it talks about don't let the elders be into strong drink. Don't let them do this. He was an elder of the church. Elder is another name for a pastor. And so perhaps he did this to avoid criticism, but bottom line, he was trying to be an example. And he was having stomach problems. Now, let me ask you this, all right? This is a very practical question. If I take this pen and I stab it into my arm, is that going to hurt? Yeah. Do I need to pray, Lord, take this pen from me? Of course I don't. You know what I need to do? Stop stabbing into my arm. That's causing my problem. Paul is giving a practical advice. There's people I've heard that, that uh, were having headaches, constant headaches, and didn't know what to do with it. And the Lord told them, stop drinking coffee. And they stopped drinking coffee. And the headaches went away. Paul's giving a little piece of practicality here. That your frequent stomach problems are because you're drinking that nasty water. They didn't have life straws back then. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. You see, that's modern technology. But what have we done here? We have taken our modern idea and belief and crammed it into Scripture and say, well, see, Paul, he couldn't heal Timothy. Timothy had stomach problems. Yeah. He was drinking straight water. You wouldn't do that. I'll, I'll tell you guys a story about water in, in a foreign country. So I was in Mexico doing some missions work. 
This was many years ago. And I'm standing on a brick ledge, and I'm reaching through a window, and I've got a sledgehammer in this hand, and I am busting out the wall. And it is the wall I'm standing on, okay? So I wasn't thinking through clearly. Um, and as I'm holding on this, the bricks under me give way, and I fall, and I, I, you, can, you can't see it, but i got a scar here, and I think one over here, where the metal shab, star, stabbed through my arm. And bleeding everywhere, I mean, you know, as you can imagine. And they're like, oh, we're going to take you to the hospital. I said, uh, no, you're not. I'm not going to a Mexican hospital. I don't, maybe they're fine, but I didn't want to find out the hard way that I was wrong. And it's like, well, let's go run some water on it. And the only thing going through my head is what is in the water. I mean, as an example down there, you don't flush toilet paper. They leave little trash cans by the toilet for you. That's fun. Okay? It's gross. So I'm taking every bottle of water we have, just dumping this thing on. Because I am. Then I took some gauze and I taped that up. And then I took saran wrap. And I wrapped it around there real good. And then I taped that sucker on there because there was going to be no germs getting into my arm at all. Yeah. All because just the idea of, of just touching the water. You know, like when you brush your teeth, you don't run it under the water. You pour bottled water. I mean, all of this stuff you've got to think about. So these guys, these are at least plausible, right? These are easily answerable things. If we just do a little study and we let go of this filter of, of, of that, well, but God doesn't always heal. See, what we're coming to is the idea of the sovereignty of God. Can we and should we know what God's will is? And it says that we're to pray that His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how can we do that if we can't have any idea and a confident expectation of how God is going to respond to prayer. That seems counterintuitive to me. So, we see the thorn. We can explain the thorn. We see at least a possibility what, what, what might have been going on in Galatian, right? About the eye thing. It's not a disease. We can see that. We can see what, what, what's going on with Trophimus. We can see what's going on with Timothy. And guess what? That's pretty much their whole case on the sovereignty of God and the cessation of That's pretty much all of it. It's pretty simple. Now, there is one in the Old Testament. I told you I was going to read you out of Daniel. Okay? Now, some of you, um, because you're impatient, ask me multiple times, well, what, what about Daniel? What about this? And this is the only way I can keep you guys coming back. So we've got to keep doing this. So we're going to start in Daniel chapter 3. The Israelites are in exile. They're in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, you guys know the story, right? If you've ever seen Veggie Tales, the chocolate bunnies, you guys remember that? Okay. If you haven't, you need to get with the program. So, we're going to read all of Daniel chapter 3 because this is often, often misunderstood and misinterpreted. So, let's go through it. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its width 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now, I'm not going to get into the weeds about the details. Let's just say that this thing is massive, okay? And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the council, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So, massive kingdom. Babylon is huge. And they have all these people in charge of these different areas, and now they're all coming back. So the satraps, the administrator, the governors, the council, the treasurer, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered together for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar uh, had set up. Then and a herald cried aloud, 
To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So, big idol, music plays, you bow down. That's a problem for the Jews. Why is that a problem for the Jews? Because that is against the Ten Commandments. You should have no golden image before you will only worship the Lord your God. So they're in Babylon. No, no shock here that everybody else is going to do it, but the Jews shouldn't because it is forbidden. All right? So, verse 7 At that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the gold image which Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There are multiple nations involved because Babylon is huge. There's multiple people groups because they've conquered all these lands, the Jews just being one of them. And it says that they all fell down and worshiped. What does all mean? You don't need a Hebrew lexicon to figure this one out. It means all of them, everybody, the Jews included. Everybody fell down and worshiped. Therefore, verse 8, at the time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews, they spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now that is their Babylonian name, just so you know. It's not their Hebrew name. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage of fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship... You shall be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. The expression of his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in the army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then those men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in case you forgot their name by now, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. And then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps 
uh, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men in whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They have not frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies, but that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made in ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That was a lot. That's the entire chapter. So what just happened? Well, he builds this image. Everybody's going to worship it. These guys refuse because they are standing on what God had commanded the people of Israel. So he shows up and he said, listen, we're going to start the music. And when we do, you're going to fall down. and That's going to be good. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. And they said, listen, we won't bow down. Our God can save you. Can't save us from that furnace. But if he doesn't, doesn't matter. Right? They didn't know what God was going to do. He might save us. He might not. We need to know what His sovereign will is in this case. But the bottom line is we're not bowing down. That's bold. You stand up in the face of adversity. You willingly lay down your life for God. So what happens? They throw them in there. And sure enough, fire didn't hurt them. In fact, it says the angel was there. That angel is a Christology. It was Christ Himself. He's in there and they pull them out. Or they climbed out. I don't think they reached in there and pulled them out. And he promotes them up above and stuff because of the miracle that happened. All because they were willing to stand for what they believed and what God had commanded them. Right? Wrong. You see, it's often misread. Yeah, they stood up for what they believed. No question. But did they know whether God would save them or not? Let's read it again. Let's go back to verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who would deliver you from my hands? Now watch. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Now, the two things we have to look at. If that is the case, is number one. And if not, what is the subject that is going on? If it is the case, is whether he chooses to throw them into the fiery furnace. We read that, it's if the case that God will save us. But if not, because he says, if that is the case, our God will, whom we serve will be able to deliver us. If what is the case? If you throw us in there. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, if not what? If you don't throw us in, let it be known to you. We, do not know, we will not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image that you have set up. Because think about this. If he throws them into the fiery furnace and God doesn't save them, why would they make the statement, we still won't worship 
your image. They'll be dead. You won't be doing anything. You guys see that? You see, this is often used that we don't know what God's will. They didn't know. They don't understand. They're just hoping that God's will is to save them. They are fully confident that God is going to deliver them. Nebuchadnezzar, if you throw us in, our God will save us. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. We will not bow to your image. They knew what God's will was. See, the idea of sovereignty and not knowing. We hear these statements that God works in mysterious ways. No, He doesn't. He works in predictable patterns. He's not sitting up there thinking like, man, I don't really like that one. I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're gonna send lightning to that one. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna send tornadoes through Oklahoma. I just, he didn't bring his hearing aids. I'm just making sure he can hear me. I mean, guys, we have to properly read Scripture. This thing has been misquoted so many times that we just take it at face value. But it doesn't make any sense. You notice what we didn't have to do? Get into the Hebrew words. We just had to read it. It doesn't make any sense that if God doesn't save us, we're still not going to bow down. Because there's going to be a pile of dust. We've got to allow God's word to stand on its own. There's no question in my mind that we can know what God's will is. We don't have to question whether it's God's sovereign will to save. We don't have to question whether it's God's sovereign will to heal. What we can agree on is this. According to Scripture, the gifts are still in operation and manifesting today. According to Scripture, that healing still takes place today. According to Scripture, that we're going to get into, and I'm going to show you that we don't have to wonder whether or not it's God's will to heal. It is always God's will to heal. Now, we've got to deal with why don't some get healed then? And I'll let this cat out of the bag. If it is always God's will to save, but yet some will reject God, then it can always be God's will to heal and some not get healed. So you better come back next week. (laughs) If it's God's will. I was just going to share a testimony. You got a testimony? Oh, oh, oh. We like testimonies here. We're going to mix it up a little. I was up uh, greeting at the door last week and somebody came up to me and said that they had been suffering from a headache for yeah. a week. And I, I can't imagine what that's like suffering from a headache for a week. But Live in Oklahoma, you'll get used to it. <laughs> anyway, so I, I called you and Janet over and we prayed for the person. And yeah. uh, this morning the person came up to me and said, I want to thank you for praying with me because those prayers worked. Amen. 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 You can turn that back around now. You see, what happened there is when somebody came up with something, what did we do? We did what the Bible said. Whose result was it? It's God's. What was our job? Lay hands on the sick. That's it. All we had to do. All we want about our day. Praise the Lord. Amen? Let's be thankful. Let's be grateful. And let's worship Him every day. Let's pray.